You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. most of our time on two sentences and then we're going to move to finish the last paragraph which just blows up in this beautiful uh, poetic explosion of of joy from Paul. So the two sentences we're going to read first are Romans 8 28 uh, to 30 Uh, sorry 29 30 For those whom he foreknew, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's a lot of big words going on there. A lot of fights. Let me read it to you one more time. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul right here is getting amped up. And it's important to recognize that Paul always has Israel in mind. Like, if you pay attention to a lot of the letters he's writing, a lot of his theology comes out of thinking about Israel. Sometimes people look at Paul's Jesus-centric focus, and they're just like, wow, the Old Testament's just out the window, the law's out the window, so on and so forth. But I hope you've been seeing as we go throughout Romans, Paul is constantly grounding himself in the Old Testament, constantly grounding himself in the story of what God did through Israel and seeing Jesus as a continuation. He does not think he's in a new religion. In his mind, he's still a Jew. The term Christian would just apply to like, yes, I'm a Jew who believes that Jesus is the Christ, is the Christian, he is the the Messiah. Like, this is for him the Jewish religion. So he's not throwing the old stuff out the window. He's looking at the fulfillment of his religion, his belief in Yahweh, his belief in the coming Messiah who showed up as Jesus. And he's celebrating all that. So when he's thinking of these big words like predestination and foreknowing and and all these other ones that come up, glorification, justification, a lot of times you've got to remember that he has Israel in mind. Now sometimes we get confused by some of these big words and we created this whole new theology of like, God has only selected a few people to get into heaven, and he made all that up way at the beginning of time before we even got to now. And so some people will get into heaven, but that's always been the same people. Other people are predestined, therefore, by implication, to go to hell, and uh, there's just no explanation as to why it just is what it is. Our next passage will get a lot more confusing on that. We're not there yet, so let's slow down a little bit, and let's talk for a moment about election. Election exists in the Old Testament. Who would you say is the elect ones of the Old Testament? Is that? Moses, yep. Somebody said something else. 
Israelites, yes, Chet? Um, David? David, so yeah, you're all, you're all mentioning people who are within the election of Israel, right? Because Moses is an Israelite, David's an Israelite. They're all Israelites. In the Old Testament, God elected a specific line to be his people. So they are the elect ones. They have been sub-elected, right, by God to bless all the nations. They have been sub-elected by God to be the ones that pour out God's favor upon everyone. They have been sub-elected by God to show the rest of the world what God looks like. Israel is the elect one. Now, with that being said, is every Israelite throughout history therefore lived out their election? No. In fact, Paul has made that clear, and he will continue to make that clear next week. As he consistently looks back at throughout Romans, he's like, look, is it a circumcision that really makes you elect? Is it a circumcision that really makes you elect? Is that what gets you saved? Is that what gets you into heaven? And his answer is no. Because he knows that throughout history, there have been many, 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 many Israelites who did not live out their election. They were born elect because they had the blood of an Israelite flowing through them. They were elect. But that does not mean that they lived out what God elected them for. Plenty of them went to serve false gods. Baal was one of their favorites or Baal-zebub, as we often call them in the New Testament. Satan, in other words, like you see the connections, like plenty of them left God to go follow Satan and all of the other principalities and authorities of the supernatural world that are not God, but are fallen spiritual beings. This is literally the story of Judges. You ever read the book of Judges? I, let me just tell you what it is. It's, hey God, we, uh, we'd like to follow you. Okay, that's great. Okay, but we're also going to go follow these other gods now. No, don't do that. Things will go badly. Okay, we're going to do it. Oh, we did it. Things went badly. Okay. <laughs> will you take us back now? Will you save us from this? Okay. Come back. Oh, thank you, God. We will follow only you. Also, can we go serve these other gods now? If you do that, things will go badly for you. Okay. We're going to do it anyway. <laughs> This is like literally the whole book of Judges. It's a cycle over and over again. Scholars call it the cycle of Judges. It's ridiculous. But it's supposed to get your attention because that is the narrative of the whole Old Testament. Them, they might be the elect ones, the elect ones, but they constantly leave their election to go do things that take them out of their election. Their circumcision, the mark upon them that said, I am an Israelite, was not enough to keep them God's family if they decided to go a different route with their life. And Paul himself is going to say that. So, this gets difficult for us sometimes because we think of election in the New Testament like God just selected a few people. But if you're thinking of it as Paul's thinking of it, I believe, with like Old Testament ideas, Israel's the elect, and now the expansion of Israel is here, where God has brought us Jesus, and Jesus has branched us out to reach people of all different nations, tribes, languages, colors, tongues. Everybody can now join the elect nation of God if they put their obedience to Jesus. Well, that becomes the invitation. That becomes evangelism. Come be 
one of the elect. But still there's that term, elect. That means that God ultimately is the one who chooses, right? And that's important to know. That's important to know because a lot of times we use the phrase like, yeah, I got saved, I chose to follow Jesus, uh, I decided that I would uh, pursue salvation, blah, 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 you know. Whatever way you say it, a lot of times we phrase our salvation story, our own testimony, in this idea that we did it. I have decided to follow Jesus. Like, as though Jesus had no part in that. And that's something that the Bible writers, especially Paul, I think would push back on us. It's the idea that you can't save yourself. That's been clear from the beginning of Romans, right? You can't save yourself. The only way that you can be saved is if God chooses you. Just as God elected Israel, selected Israel, so God has to elect slash select you. And so Paul here right at the beginning is you, uh, uh, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Those whom he foreknew. Guess who God knew in the Old Testament? The start of Israel, Abraham. There's actually a verse about Abraham. A lot of your translations, I think it's Genesis 19, 18 maybe. A lot of your translations are going to say that God, um, God chose Abraham because of blank, blank, blank. But the actual word being used there is God yada Abraham. Anybody know this Hebrew word? It comes up a few times. It's, it's the Hebrew word for no. That's an intimate word. God yada Abraham. God knew Abraham. That's the same kind of word that we use for like Adam and Eve. Adam knew Eve. Adults, you know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> and I'm not trying to pervert God and Abraham. That's not at all what's going on there. But the Bible intentionally uses a intimate kind of word. God knew Abraham. And he was chosen from that. He knew him. He, he knew him ahead of time and selected him to be the start of all of the nation of Israel. It's intimate language. The same goes for Paul for with you. If he's got Abraham in mind, he might even be quoting that passage. Just as God knew Abraham, so God foreknows you. Before you were saved, God knew you already. God elected, selected you as he foreknew you. You did not just one day decide to wake up and get saved. That was God's choice. And as he opened that door for you to come and receive salvation, what you did was decide to walk through it, to walk into the elect. Just as Abraham was known, so you were foreknown. Just as Israel was elect, so you, walking into that, are elect. Think of it like this. Uh, have you ever heard the story of, uh, it's actually a pretty common story, a supernatural event that tends to happen with a lot of Muslims, where they're pursuing Allah, right? Uh, they are um, trying to pursue living a righteous life, and they're pursuing their God, and then somewhere along the way, 
common phenomena happens where if they're really chasing after God in the same ways that we would chase after Yahweh, chase after Jesus, sometimes they have a dream of a man clothed in white. And it's happened enough that Christians who are in Muslim nations have used this a lot. Have you seen the man dressed in white in your dreams? If you have, come and talk to us. We can tell you who he is. <laughs> and lots of Muslims have got saved through this phenomenon of Jesus revealing himself to them. Why? Why is Jesus revealing himself to Muslims through dreams? I would suggest it's because he foreknows them. Though they may not currently be saved, though they may be walking a different route, God sees in them something that is the same as what he wants in someone who follows him, and he foreknows them and calls them out. Come and follow me, be an elect. And lots of Muslims have gotten saved through this dream of a man clothed in white. It's the same with, uh, what's his face? Cornelius in Acts. In Acts, there's a guy named Cornelius. And he is constantly giving to the poor. Uh, he's constantly praying. But he's not an Israelite. He's a Gentile. Peter goes to eat with him. And Peter's not thinking that this guy's on the inside. Peter's not even really probably thinking that this guy can really be saved. And Peter's starting to tell them like who Jesus is and what's happened. And then the Holy Spirit just shows up while he's talking to Cornelius. And all of Cornelius' family starts speaking in tongues. They have an experience of the Holy Spirit. Something that I bet Peter was like, well, I would never offer them that. God, what are you doing? Because you know? Peter's like, these are Gentiles. What are, you, what are you doing? Look at the food that they're eating on the table. It's not kosher. It's, it's not what we as Jews do. Why are you pulling out your Holy Spirit on these Gentiles right here? The Bible kind of gives us a glimpse as to why. God saw Cornelius, saw that he was always giving to the poor. That's something God loves. Saw that he was always praying. I think when you actually look at this statement of predestination, what you're actually seeing is once you are elect, once you are chosen, once you are foreknown and God invites you into the church, you walk into something that is predestined. The church is the one that is predestined. The church is the one that's going to go on to the resurrection, to go on to the new heavens, the new earth, the new bodies. In fact, that's what Paul himself said right here, right? For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? To be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Firstborn, that's that resurrection language. Just as Jesus was resurrected and will go on to the new heavens and new earth and the new resurrected body, so Christians who have been foreknown and elected, selected by God, they too are now predestined to something that is to come. Something wonderful, something beautiful. The resurrection. And then he goes on, those who are predestined, he also called. So if you join the church as God calls you into it, you then are, are a part of the cult. Are you tired of hearing pastors talk about calling on their lives, called the ministry? Why can I be special enough to have callings too? You do. You do. If you are a human being, first off, you're made in the image of God and therefore you have calling in your life to do what God puts you here on the planet to do. But if you 
have gone beyond just being human to having the seeds of resurrection inside of you, then you have been called into the family of God. And if you've been called into the family of God, then you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life. And if you have the gifts of the Holy Spirit in your life, then you should be living those out in ministry here in this church and wherever else you go. Because those gifts were not given to you just to have a good time at home. Those gifts were given to you to bless the world. That was the promise given to Abraham. That's why he was elected in the first place. That's why he was foreknown. That's why he was called. You too are called. As a Christian, you can define your very existence as a called one. Those who are called, he also justified. Justified. That's again, that's court language. When the ultimate day of judgment comes at the end of all things, you will be justified. You will be just. Righteousness. You will be righteousness. So when the gavel comes down, you will understand that as a called one, as a foreknown one, as an elected one, as a predestined one, you are on the right side of the gavel. It is a good thing. And then also those whom he justified, he also glorified. Glorification, that's a term about what's coming ahead of us in the resurrection. You will put on bodies of glory and live in the new heavens and earth full of glory. These are all beautiful, wonderful words. And if we want to talk a lot more about, um, about free will versus predestination, you know, we could spend a long time on that. I have talked about it before. I'll post a video on our Facebook page later of when we preached on it last year if you'd like to go deeper into my thoughts as to how this all work out. But I often look at uh, God's sovereignty and free will as two sides of the coin that are working together. Uh, not that it's all just scripted out like one book, but rather life is like a library where, yes, you made a different choice today. God could go and pull the book off the shelf to show what life changed into because of the choice you made. God's omniscience is not that he knows one book. God's omniscience is that he knows all the books and knows the way they all pan out. Let me share one story with you from the Bible to give a good glimpse at God's omniscience of knowing all things and how to navigate free will. I've shared this story before, so first you're yawning like, yeah, Jamie, you've done this one a lot. But I've never told you the whole story. And so let me give you a quick glimpse into it. In the Old Testament, there was a guy named Ahab. He was a king, and uh, there was uh, another king of Israel that came up to him, and the two of them were talking about going to war with someone else. And so Ahab is trying to convince this other king to go to war with them, and the other king says, you know what, let's talk to your prophets. You have prophets of God, right? Pull them all together, all 400, 500 of them, Let's hear them out. Would they say we should go to this war? And if they say so, then yeah, I guess we can go. So Ahab goes, gets all four or 500 prophets. They all come out. He says, we're thinking of going to war. What would you guys say? What, what is God saying over this? And all four to 500 of them are like, yes, go to this, uh, go to war with these people. You will be victorious. Now, the other king, not Ahab, the other king's a little like, man, are these just yes-men? Like, they, all 500 of them in unison? Like, it's, I don't know. Are they just trying to amp you up? Do they want the spoils as well? Are, do you have any other prophets, man? And King Ahab says, yes, but I hate him. 
<laughs> this actually was written down. <laughs> yes, but I hate him because he always prophesies evil over me. <laughs> he always says the thing I don't want him to say. And the other king's like, okay, that's the one I want to talk to. That's the one I want to hear out. So they go and get Micaiah, this other prophet. He comes forward and says, all right, what, what, what are you looking for? What's the word? Like, well, we're thinking of going to war. What would God say? All these other prophets say that, that we can go and that God's with us in this. What would you say? And he says, yeah, go to war. You'll win. This messes with Ahab's mind. It's like, what? He instantly goes to, you're lying. You never say anything I want to hear. You never say anything good. What are you talking about? Go to, why are you in unison with all the other ones? You're crazy. Don't you lie to me, Micaiah. So Micaiah then tells him the truth. He's like, okay, all right, here's the deal then. I was in God's throne room. God was on the throne. And he said, I've decided it's time to judge King Ahab. It's time for him to go. And he was speaking to all the spirits, which is a term for spiritual beings in heaven, all the angels, all the principalities that were there. And he asked them all for an idea. How are we going to get rid of King Ahab? And as I was watching all this unfold, spirits came up and gave ideas. God didn't bite for those ones. But there was one that came up and said, I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of, of God's prophets. And God said, yeah, that'll work. Let's do that one. So, essentially, what Micaiah tells King Ahab is like, look, man, we're all lying to you. We're telling you that it's going to go well because that was what God told us to do. But it's not, you know, obviously if that's a lie, the implication is it's not going to go well for you. Now, if I was King Ahab, and I know God has it out for me because God has told him many times before I'm, you're coming to destruction. If I'm King Ahab, I'm going to be like, we're not going to war. Or I'm sending everybody else out. I'm staying back here. But King Ahab is bold enough to go. And King Ahab goes to war. And he disguises himself as just a mere soldier. Draws all the attention to the other king. And then the Bible says something very curious. Just a random guy with a bow and arrow just randomly shot his arrow, and killed King Ahab. The implication the Bible is making is that arrow was not so random as you think. <laughs> See, this is a weird story of God's omniscience and free will. Free will of spiritual beings, free will of human beings. On one hand, you have God and his sovereignty say, Ahab's got to go. Then you have uh, spiritual beings of heaven and their free will saying, here's an idea. Then you have God and his sovereignty saying, that will work. And then you have human beings and their free will saying that, yeah, God is, is in this. And then you find out it's a lie. And then you have the free will of Ahab, who has the audacity and pride to go to war anyways. And then the free will of someone else to shoot an arrow that wasn't quite as free as you think it was or random. Like free will and sovereignty of God, predestination, what God has declared actually happening all working in tandem. That's how wise God is in his omniscience. Lots of other proposals from the Heavenly Council, not choosing any of those, but that one, I'll choose that one. And the reason that story is so interesting is because we thought God's omniscience failed, right? As soon as we find out, oh, all the prophets are lying, we're like, well, okay, God, sorry, I guess you don't know everything, you've been busted. And then God's like, or do I? <laughs> 
because he's still going to go to war anyways. Watch this. Well, there he goes. Yep, he did it anyways. God's sovereignty is great. And our free will is also great. To the point that it has also derailed um, prophetic words throughout the Bible as well. But the reason that I get into all that is because we're going to see next week free will and sovereignty all playing a part in one grand analogy that Paul plays. I want to set the stage for that, but because we're also talking about things like predestination and whatnot, I also wanted to, to like set the stage for that as well. Uh, God speaking foreknown words, predestination words, and yet at the same time, the free will of you to walk into it. Yes, Jesus calls us into it, and then we respond. We can't save ourselves. We accept the invitation of salvation. And Jesus is the best picture of this. Jesus once when he was preaching a parable, uh, when he finished the parable, you know this story, um, the disciples asked what he meant. And Jesus was confused that they didn't understand. Jesus said, you guys have the secret of the kingdom of heaven. Did you not understand like the meaning behind the parable? Because you were supposed to get that. They're like, no, we didn't get it. And Jesus then explicitly explains, like, the reason that I speak in parables is so some people will get it and some people won't. The reason I speak in parables is because, and this sounds foreign to us and it's very hard to hear sometimes, because there are some who actually aren't at the point where they should be saved and they're not supposed to hear the message in that invitation kind of way. That's kind of the way that Jesus phrases it. The reason Jesus spoke in parables was to encrypt the salvation message. Those in his crowd who actually showed up because they want God, those who want to follow Jesus, those who want to call him king and give their lives to him, those are the ones that Jesus is going to reach. The parable will make sense to them. But those who just want a free meal because they've heard of the Jesus things happening, those who want to see some little Jesus magic happen, some miracles, some crazy signs and wonders, those who just wanted their friends healed, those who just wanted some demons delivered, those who wanted a blessing but were not that interested in Jesus as king or definitely calling him that, Jesus spoke in parables so those ones wouldn't hear and so that those who were actually interested in pursuing him, the Holy Spirit would translate the parable on the fly so people would understand it. That was Jesus' way of doing evangelism. The reason that I bring it up is because that right there is that foreknowing. That right there is that predestination. That right there is that elect. And we cheapen evangelism a lot of times, right? We know all the marketing techniques. I'll tell you, the other day, I went to watch a 30-second YouTube video, and it had an eight-minute ad before it. I could skip in 15 seconds. And I did it. I watched all eight minutes. <laughs> Why? Because they understood the psychological effects of marketing. They knew how to get me to watch that whole thing. And they kept holding back what they actually wanted to say until the end of the video when they said, now go to our webpage to learn more. And I did. And I watched 16 more minutes of videos looking for the answer. This happened to me at Meyer. As well, went over the over the loudspeaker. Coming to back right now, we're going to be having a giveaway of a round and free gift. Thank you very much. Can't understand a thing they're saying. I think that was intentional. But I go to the back, and there's this girl showing exactly how this mandolin works to cut all of these vegetables in the most amazing way ever, and then keeps faking that she's running out. Oh, I don't know if I have any more. Oh, here's one more. Anybody else? And we're all like, give it to me. You know, 
That's how we do evangelism with the psychological effects of like, ooh, I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. I'm going to, oh, I see another hand right there. You know, like that kind of like, let me trick you into following Jesus with my marketing voice. Jesus wasn't interested in that. Jesus spoke in riddles. Jesus spoke in ways so people didn't understand who he was. Jesus spoke in ways that lost him followers. In John's gospel, he lost a bunch right at the beginning simply because he didn't clarify that bread and wine is what he meant when he said, you're going to eat my body and blood. <laughs> Jesus' marketing was very bad. And he was okay with that because he knew the Holy Spirit was the one electing people, choosing them. I just had to fill out a grant for this food truck that we're working on. I did not have a very good proposal when it came to hospitality and trying to create disciples. Because a lot of it was, we're going to go and preach the gospel. We're going to go and preach it as it's written in the Bible. Some of them might want to follow it. And if they do, they'll get involved in the church. And they'll continue to come alongside of us until they develop into leaders. And there's going to be a bunch of other people who are just going to find it too difficult. But might want a free meal and show up anyways. And we'll give them a free meal. But they may never find the discipleship that they're looking for. So we'll see if that kind of proposal on a grant of evangelism really works out. But the idea is like some people are going to grab onto it, some people won't. Maybe you've seen that with dinner church, right? We offer something that a lot of churches have not offered before. But in order to make dinner church work, it requires all of us to do work, to make it work. And I have found Christian or not Christian, there's a lot of people who just aren't interested in being involved in something that requires you to actually do church together. And we're looking for the elect. We're looking for those who are interested in going the next step, following Jesus, going the distance to do what he's called us to do. All right, I'm going over. Let me show you where he explodes from here, and then we'll wrap it up. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul explodes, and he does this in Ephesians right at the beginning as well as he's thinking over the predestined, foreknown people of God. He explodes in poetic form. It does not matter what happens to you today. It does not matter what happens to you tomorrow. The worst thing anyone could ever do to you is kill you. And that is not enough to separate you from the love of God. It doesn't matter if Satan puts a mark on your back. If he comes for you. If he torments you day and night. Just like Job was tormented with all these sufferings and all these struggles. Just like people throughout the New Testament who were burned at the stake. Who were killed on behalf of Jesus. Does not matter 
what the world, be it spiritual or physical, puts against you. You are the foreknown, predestined, called out people of God. And you are going on to glory. So nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Doesn't matter what tries to come up against you. The only thing that can separate you from Christ is your own self. To choose to walk away from him. Or to choose to live a life that truly doesn't say, Jesus, you are my king and I want to be faithful to you. When we decide to do those things, we ourselves become a separation between Christ and us. Otherwise, his love is so great that it does not matter what happens. Resurrection, glorification, and great things are ahead of you. Amen? God, we put ourselves in your hands. We thank you for the love that you pour out on us. Nothing can separate us. Even if we ran astray, you give us the, the parable of the prodigal son. Where God's saying, come back home. I'll forgive you. I'll bring you in. I'll throw a party. My son who is lost has been found. You're full of grace. You're full of love. And you give it to us at every turn. So help us extend that, that uh, uh, calling to others. You do call us to evangelize. You call us to live lives that evangelize. You call us to tell people about the gospel. And then we put it in your hands. Will you call them in too? We pray that you will. And we intercede on their behalf. Because Jesus intercedes on ours. That's what Paul just said. Jesus is sitting on the throne of all sovereignty over the whole world. And when we get before his throne at the end of all things, being Jesus' elect called ones, Jesus, you look at your father and say, hey, God, hey, dad, they're in. They're with me. And we are justified in your eyes through salvation of your son who intercedes for us. Just like Moses would intercede for Israel and get them out of uh, the destruction that would come their way. So Jesus intercedes for us to get us out of the destruction that comes our way. We thank you. And we pray that you continue to strengthen us to live faithful lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. As you give me a few extra minutes, you're dismissed. We'll catch you guys next Sunday, if not sooner.